0: Hello and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Bree. And joining us today, we have author Rebecca Hunter with us. We're so happy to have you join us today. Please tell us how your 2022 has been.
1: Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. So I'm so honored to be here. Um, in 2022, uh, well, so I got to see my sister for the first time in years because she lives in Australia and she wasn't allowed to come, or actually she was allowed to come, but she wasn't allowed to go back if she did. Uh,
2: oh my gosh. <laughs> I know.
1: <laughs> so, and then we did this whole, like these family gatherings with different groups of relatives. And we also got to go up to, we have a family cottage in Ontario and we couldn't go there for two summers because of COVID restrictions. So um, I'm giving 2022 a cautious thumbs up. And hoping there isn't a reason to change my answer soon.
0: <laughs> no late game surprises for us. Right. You
1: know? <laughs> <laughs> Just smooth sailing.
0: Well, are you ready to get into some icebreakers? Yes. If you came with a warning label, what would it say?
1: Um, mine would say watch for strong opinions. <laughs> so if my friends tend to think of me as a pretty easygoing person and I don't tend to st- sweat the smell of stuff. Um, so then I think it can take people by surprise when I can be strong worded and strongly opinionated about the things I do feel very passionately about.
2: Okay. So give us like one of your strong opinions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, they, they tend to be like big scale things like, uh, no one in the world should go hungry, you know, and we should be doing everything we can to stop that stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. So, but I can be a little single-minded when i say things <laughs> It can take people by surprise i think
2: it's one of those like don't get me started
1: yes, <laughs> like how you have yes. to preface with that yeah <laughs> i am that person you have to warn like okay take it easy on this
0: <laughs> <laughs> on your website one place you've listed as calling home is stockholm sweden share with us one of the things you enjoyed about having lived there mm.
1: There's so many things like cinnamon rolls. Um, but I'm, I'm going to go with um, so, midsummer is this celebration that happens on the longest day of the year. And we often would spend it with friends. And um, so you just stay up all night and you gather around an enormous outdoor table, and kids and adults, and there's There's eating and drinking, and there can be singing and dancing, and it's nutty and lots of fun. So I'm going to say I think midsummer is the top of the list. I love that so much. (laughs) It's it's great too because it really you know it happens at the beginning of the summer, so it's like the time it kind of kicks off the summer too, and everyone just you know I mean it's the whole night. So yeah, because it's because it is light for almost all of it.
2: Wow.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah, So much fun. What's the last song to get stuck in your head?
1: Um, well, so we live in a tiny house and the other three members of my family all play instruments. So it's always anything that gets stuck in my head is usually something they're playing because they're practicing the song over and over. Um, so last night my son was playing Brown Eyed Girl. So that's it, I think. <laughs> okay.
0: What would your elevator pitch for the kind of romances you enjoy writing be?
1: Um, I'm going to say sexy, witty, international romance with emotional depth and complexity. I'm not sure how sp- if that's specific enough, but... <laughs> I think that's great. (laughs) I think that works
0: (laughs) just fine. Well, we love to hear romance origin stories. Can you share with us how you became a romance reader and writer?
1: Sure. Um, So I grew up in a house that was very much um, dedicated to literary fiction. Um, And I've always been a voracious reader, and I didn't have any complaints. Um, Though looking back... um, I can see that the books that I read during my teens were written almost exclusively by men, often white men. And I don't think my parents really considered that (laughs) angle of it. Um, There was a little Sweet Valley High that found its way in there. But uh, basically, I didn't read romance until I was an adult. And so I actually became a romance reader and writer around the same time. Um, I had written. One book, um, it was a mystery, and it's one that no one will ever see, (laughs) but um, I wasn't convinced that I was a very good match for the genre um, because, for example, I don't like writing or reading violence, and so then writing it takes longer than reading, so that that was one of the clues that that wasn't really going to be my home genre. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
2: Like, I don't really want to
1: kill anybody. (laughs) it's funny. Cause even with like, even in romance, when I write romance, I tend to like steer away from the, the hardest times for the characters. And my friend who's my beta reader, she's always like, no, you've got to go for it. But so, so it's a problem. Um, <laughs> but my, uh, My sister visited me in Sweden, and she gave me a book. And at the time, like in when you're when I was living in Sweden, like it's hard to get it's hard to get a hold of English language books. Um, And this was before Amazon was, you know, king of everything. Um, And she gave me the book that she had just finished, which was Outlander. Oh my gosh. There it is. Is that that a thumbs up, oh, or a thumbs down? No.
2: That's I mean, it's a thumbs up, but that's a big book
1: to get started (laughs) with. And there's not just one of them. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so I, you know, I read it and there were things that I liked and there were things that I didn't like as much. But what really blew me away was the distance between what I assumed romance was, without reading it, of course. And, and what the book really was, what it actually was. And, and it was right around then that I first thought like, oh, I have stories that I could write that might be romances. And maybe that's a better idea than mystery. <laughs> so that's really kind of where it started.
2: Yeah, Erin and I ha- have been trying our hand at writing and we're pretty much on the same page. Like we <laughs> kind of find it hard to be mean to the characters, but Absolutely. we know that that's something you have yeah. to do. <laughs>
1: I'm just hearing you say that it's like
2: you're you're speaking to the
1: choir like right now. <laughs> It's funny because now, so since I've switched over to mostly traditional um, publishing, I have to write a summary before I go into the book. And it's actually easiest for me to, you know, in the summary part, you know, realize, okay, I have not put enough like conflict and peril in the relationship in there because it's really hard when I'm in the thick of it to, to torture the characters. I don't want them to have a hard time.
2: Okay. So I have to ask. So, so, having with when you you read Outlander and you said there were there was a lot of things you liked, there were a lot of things you you know you didn't like. What? Did- how did it change your perspective of romance? I remember when I was trying my hand at blogging, y'all, I made a post and I included Outlander in it because at the time it was a book I really wanted to read. And somebody like gave me this comment about this is not a romance and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, everybody that I know that reads romance that has read this book considered considers it a romance. So like as that being your first, how did it change your perspective of the genre?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think that there was a lot of other things. There's a lot of other things going on in that story besides the romance, you know, the sort of the the time travel and what it would be like for someone um, from the 19, you know, from the middle of the 1900s to go there. Um, And there was a lot that was super intriguing. I think, um, you know, I only read the first one and that one, I would venture to say I don't have a super strong opinion about this, so this is not one of my (laughs) hills. But but I think the first one is a complete romance, Um, and it was definitely presented like this is long before I was in RWA. But when it first came out, it was given to at the national RWA conference. Her publisher um, gave it, put it in like all the rooms. Like, it was definitely, at the time, marketed as a romance. I think it then, like, if you start to get after that, it goes into, like, adventure with romantic subplot. But that first one, like, they end up, they have a happily ever after or a, happily for now, maybe at the end of that book. So I, I don't know. I would say that one is a romance, but it it really did not take the course. It was so there was so much adventure in it, and so much about Claire's story, like her. Um, It was, I would say it's kind of even an intersection. You know, it's got a women's fiction element to it because it's really about her self-exploration through this story. So I think that that really appealed to me. And that's sort of what I, how I entered romance too.
2: Well, from what we could see online, your first published title was Stockholm Diaries, Mm -hmm. Caroline, which you indie published in 2015. So can you take us back to this time and walk us through the writing and publishing of this book?
1: Uh, Sure. Um, So I I was stuck revising the same mystery manuscript many times. (laughs) (laughs) The under the bed mystery that we will never see. (laughs) That I wasted three years of my life on. (laughs) Um, But um, I, you know, and I was submitting it to agents. And after I had gotten a lot of like, you know, people would take it, and they'd ask for more, and sometimes even a full, and then just say, like, I don't love this enough to to buy it or to take it. So then I came to the, um, to the decision that I really needed to start again. And I, you know, once I read Outlander, I started devouring romance, um, historical romance first, cause that was sort of like my gateway in. Um, but in 2013, our family moved from Stockholm to where we currently live, which is the San Francisco Bay area. Um, I missed so many things about Sweden. Um, so when I sat down to write Stockholm Ca- Diaries, Caroline, um, it really, um, it's sort of like a love letter to my expat friends and the city I loved and the things I loved about it. So there's a ton of personal things in there, not, not the romance. The romance is totally made up, but, um, But the details, like the apartment that she lives in, is the apartment where we we borrowed an apartment from a friend um, for the first few weeks as we were getting settled and finding our own place. Um, And there's she has a really strong friendship with um, this woman, Veronica. Um, And these friendships, like I made a lot of friends um, with people from around the world, and these friendships are really intense um, because. You know, we're we're all going through the same thing, which is like figuring out how to um, mesh what we think life looks like with what's actually going on in this new country where things are done differently. Um, So I really wanted to write a story about someone who is exploring Stockholm and exploring those things um, and what it means to live there while she's falling in love. So that's really kind of how I approached that book. Um, Yeah uh, publishing it. I just, I, that, that was really, um, so I joined, I wrote it and then I joined my local Romance Writers of America chapter, the San Francisco Bay chapter, um, which is no longer, no longer exists. Um, and everyone there told me how to do it. So, <laughs> so that, awesome. that was it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What did the world of romance publishing look like at the time you were entering into it?
1: So it was certainly easier to sell books without advertising. Um, <laughs> I uh, I was I, I entered at the tail end of what I would call the indie gold rush, or I, not I would call it, that. That's sort of what it's known as. Um, and Facebook was really at the center of connecting with readers. and um, the connect- the contemporary market was flooded at that point, but there was still there were still so many ways to connect with readers um, who would enjoy, maybe enjoy my particular kind of book, even though I really did not know what I was doing. Like I said, like I got tips <laughs> from.
2: <laughs> I love this so much.
1: I feel like that would be us, Sarah.
2: Like we're just, we're just putting books out there. Okay. But we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah.
1: (laughs) And it felt, I mean, it really felt like that. Um, And it was fun that way for me because I didn't really, um, I didn't enter it. Like my dream was to write a romance, to write, to write a book and then and everything after that and i try to like i try to remind myself of this when i you know get down on you know oh what are you what am i doing with my career and anything like really my dream was to write and so all of this other stuff that came with it and discovering the world that there you know you could connect with readers and that was all just sort of icing on the cake for me at first you know it was a period of discovery um I, you know, in retrospect, it would have been better if I knew more about business and stuff like that. <laughs> I was not the best business person and I didn't really know how to ride the wave, um, how to hang on to it. Um, but I, I, you know, it's hard to think that I should change like to go back and change that just because there was such um, a feeling of possibility and it was very uplifting in that way. So, yeah.
2: Well, do you remember the moment, like you just, you said that I just wanted to write, which I Mm. think
1: for a lot of us aspiring
2: writers, that's it. Like you just want to write, you just want to do the thing. Do you Mm. remember the first time when it hit you like, Oh, but there's a business aspect to this too. Yeah. uh,
1: That was, well, I guess, you know, querying agents was a little bit of a wake-up call and <laughs> the rejection yes. were a wake-up call. <laughs> um, I can definitely see that being, you know, part of it. <laughs> but it really was after I published, I mean, really figuring out like, Oh, I, I don't know how to reach readers. Okay. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try like going on, you know, Goodreads giveaways or, you you know um, the, there were at the time I mean there still are a bunch of facebook groups the reader groups um, but at the time there were a few of them were really big and going on there and people would just buy books at the time because there wasn't it wasn't as flooded as it now So as it is now so you could go on to like one click addicts and put your book out there and talk about it and people would buy it like now it doesn't really work quite that, you know, it's not that streamlined at this point.
2: Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: Um, but yeah, so it really was after I really discovered it, I think, after um, I published and after I started realizing, like, oh, and people expect me to write another one, like right now. <laughs> That is definitely part of the package. (laughs) I'm not really selling myself as a businesswoman here. (laughs) I think it's great. It's fine.
2: (laughs) We have to talk about Best Laid Plans. You released it in 2018. It was your first Harlequin Dare. Tell us about your journey to getting published with Harlequin.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a little, it was a little crazy. So I didn't really know anything. As, this is, this is a theme, of course, since you're hearing. I didn't really know anything about <laughs> category <like literary laughs> romance. <laughs> um, there was like, they used to have this thing called, so you think you can write. And it was like a, I don't know. It was a contest that they had where you could just submit to category lines. And of course, I didn't understand what category lines were. So I submitted, I just like threw out my Stockholm Diaries Caroline thing when I was wondering what to do with it. And it was, of course, like completely ignored because it doesn't fit category at all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Single perspective, like all these problems with it, um, problems like, you know, for it not matching. Um, so, and I never really thought that much about it until Kathleen Shiblaine, um, who's one of the head editors at Harlequin. She came to the um, my chapter of the Romance Writers of America. She came to a meeting and she did this presentation on it. And then, and all of the lines, I was like, yeah, I don't really write any of that stuff. And then she described this new yet to be named line that featured international settings, high heat, and then millionaires. And um, I was like, ooh, I think I could write that. And coincidentally, my name was chosen for a pitch session with her. There was like a big lottery. And I, still not understanding category very well, pitched the story I was currently writing, which is in the in the Stockholm Diaries world. Um, and it had some of the elements. Um, so it's, it's a real book. It, it's a book that I did write. It was called One More Night. Um, but if you ever read it, you will see that it's clearly not category romance. But I had this uh, this pissed session so i tried to fit it into what they wanted so i was like the hero it's international it's high heat and the hero is an author and a millionaire and and, and kathleen just like cracked up and said she said something like well he didn't make his millions as an author did he uh no of course not. <laughs> So, so she, like, she, but she said, like, just to be nice, I think, she said, Oh, well, send me a chapter. Um, but I knew that's not what she wanted, clearly, because she had laughed. <laughs> but, but I had this open door. So then I scrapped that idea. I put that aside. And then I came up with something new. That was the premise for Best Lady Plans. And I wrote a chapter and um sent it in and she wanted three chapters and then she wanted a full and then they bought it so it really it was um I kind of fell into it I guess
0: well congratulations we're, we're glad that you made it
1: I know <laughs> <laughs> thank you it seems like against all odds you know because I really didn't know what I was doing I but I think I do know what I'm doing now more a little more <laughs>
0: Well, for anyone that has yet to read a Harlequin Dare, how would you describe the line to them?
1: Mm. So they're really fun, right? They're and they're they're high heat, international, cosmopolitan settings, um, aspirational lifestyle type things, but more down to earth relationships and people than something like Presents. Um, So, I think that it's got a lot of the same hooks as Presents, but more what I'll call contemporary and higher. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, while you were writing for Dare, like, what did the marketing promotion, like, how did you get
1: readers to pick up the book? That is a good question. I have been listening to. Um, your discussions with um, with you know with different authors. Um, Jada Sola James was speaking on the podcast a few weeks ago um, about the marketing and just like looking at the different. Um, you know, what, what these different lines do. Um, and I, and, and I honestly, I, you know, I try to look back because I, I entered one of the reasons why I wanted to go traditional, as opposed to indie was I was realizing um, that I wasn't the world's best marketer. <laughs> so, and so I needed help with this. Um, but I, you know, I think that the focus was, of D.A.R.E. was really to appeal to the international market. It was really not a huge North American focus. Um, So I did some of my own stuff, I had a newsletter and stuff, but really I was trying to look at what they were doing. and. I, you know, Dare launched in 2018, um, and the market was really flooded with high heat contemporaries. And I didn't really understand how they were marketing it either, because I wasn't seeing it. I, I'm sure that it was advertised to the to Harlequin's established base, but it didn't have the regular category covers. Like if you look at my, if you look at the cover of Best Laid Plans, like it just has Dare in the corner in these, you know, you don't know that it's Harlequin at all. And you definitely you don't, don't yeah category. Um, it, it's, it was presented much more like a single title. Um, and then here in the U.S., it was only online. <laughs> I mean, I totally, totally understand why Harlequin as a business decision. But as like, you know, as an author, I would like <laughs> I would have liked it to be um, as in paperback. Um, and I, I do understand there's a lot of problems with high heat books on the shelves and um you really need a so but if you're going to make it work you need a great online marketing game and um jada solo mentioned that harlequin is adaptable and always figures that out and i totally agree they've really done an amazing job with this they're super savvy but i think in 2018 they hadn't fully mastered the online marketing and amazon um and books get lost there. And I just, I don't feel like in the U.S. the line really took off um, in part because of that.
2: Yeah, this is really, you made me really think about something I don't think that we have thought about, Erin, when we talk about D.A.R.E., like maybe it was like possibly geared more towards readers overseas. Maybe. I I don't know. That's that's such a really good point, because I think you're missing a huge mark when you don't allow a certain location to buy them physically. And I mean, I think there's maybe the, the hope of like our already established readers will buy into this. But you should also want to try to get new readers. But if it's out of sight, out of mind, they're not even going to know it's there. I hope yeah. like that makes some kind of sense. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think, you know, there are markets that dare did do really well in, um, but they're, you know, the like, for example, in the Swedish market, which is totally coincidental, but it's, <laughs> it's a good one for me to do well in because it's close to my heart. Um, but they're like the, the, the dare line is still publishing books. There. I are mean, not, not new books, but they are still, publishing translations of the line and you know my books are in audio there like they're, they are really are you serious
0: oh, wow
1: <laughs> isn't that crazy so it, i think that so you know harlequin's business um you know it's it's in it's it's centered around the, the north american marketing category but they really a lot of the business focus is also on selling to these foreign markets. So, like the the foreign markets themselves are. I, this has been explained to me, and I hope I'm getting it right. But they're they're sort of their own entities. So they decide which things do well there. Um, and so we, you know, as tropes, when we were writing, there were things like. Um, <clears throat> I think, like you know, not military heroes, not police—you know, things that do not do well in overseas markets, but maybe do better here. Um, and so, the and so there were markets. They were hoping the international market would really take off, and there were some places that it did, and then other places that it didn't. Like I said, Sweden did, um, but the books are in. I think for Germany, they did. Um, they translated for a while, um, but that's ended. Um, I just got Lithuania. I don't know. Um, oh my I, gosh. <laughs> I know. And I know that like, you know, I got one in French and there were, I didn't get them in Italian and Spanish, but there were some in Italian and Spanish. So I think that that was really what the vision was, was this was going to make it. and, And it's one of the reasons why they were willing to sacrifice the North American print market for it. I, you know, I've thought a lot about you know, the question that you have been asking other authors, like, what do you think? Why? Why do you think the dare? Th- some of these lines haven't made it. Um, and I was really um, curious about Jada Sola's answer about the, you know, the promise that like a very specific promise of the line. And I, you know, I gave you what I thought um, Harlequin Dare was, you know, what, what they were aiming for. Um, but I'm not sure if that Promise was specific enough, um, you know, and to really catch people's eye, especially when the the books were competing against the Amazon Top Hundred, like High Heat with um, cosmopolitan or luxury settings, like you know, half of Amazon Top Hundred is that? Is that? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really trying to figure out well what. What does dare have that you cannot reliably find elsewhere? I mean, I think that's what presents does really well. That's what love inspired suspense does really well. Like you can't find exactly what they're doing
2: Anywhere else. Anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because we know that, I mean, we don't know what it's called, but we know there is an unnamed imprint in the works and we have questions. We wonder, is this going to be another high heat line? And one thing Erin and I have been talking about a lot offline and on the podcast is like... (laughs) If we're going to do it again, how do we do it and do it right? Because if you're going to do it again and it's going to be digital only, well, that was what happened with D.A.R.E. And here in the States, it kind of felt like it was doomed to begin with by doing that. But also, I mean, we all three live in the States. Let's be real. The last time you went to Walmart, what Harlequin lines did you see on the shelf? You probably wouldn't see a blaze or a dare on the shelf at the Walmart in the United States. So it's like, what's, we're interested to see how it rolls out. Like, what do you think is someone that wrote for this line, which I think it's so interesting if you're writing for a line that you know you're not going to see on the shelves where you live i always find that so fascinating how authors do that like you're writing for you're writing a book for a line that is really trying to be pushed somewhere else (laughs) because you know, like (laughs) for whatever reason, it's just not here, but like, what do you think, how, what do we do differently this time to ensure whatever's coming down the pipeline has the potential to be successful?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's the million dollar question that Harlequin's trying to figure out, you know, I mean, for me personally, you know, I was writing indie before. And so I wasn't as, um, it was, it didn't feel like a step back to not have my books on the shelves because my, my indie books were not on the shelves either. My, my, my orientation was online, you know, eBooks contemporary is a super super hot market um i mean i don't think i understand that there is it has ebbs and flows but it is the biggest market and i think high heat there are people who are buying again if you just look at that amazon top 100 it's high heat contemporary so there are people who are buying it and i think um i and i'm pretty sure this is not an official Thing, but um, I'm pretty sure that the new yet to be named line um, is higher heat and is paperback. I think that they are looking for shelf space, and so I think one of the answers is, has got to be about covers that suit Walmart. Frankly, like they have to be able to fit on those shelves, um, and 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 I don't know exactly what that is. Um, I actually, I don't think I even have a Walmart near me. So I don't know, I'm not sure what those look like. <laughs> um, maybe I do, it, but it's not anywhere very close and I tend not to drive. So <laughs> um, maybe I do, um, but I, it, it should fit on that. And I think it needs to be, um, or yeah, so it needs to go over well. They need to be able to sell it to the Harlequin base. And I think that that was they really with Dare they really wanted new readers and they wanted younger readers and I um, which I think is a really good idea but it has to have an intersection with people who are already reading Harlequin now who is reading Harlequin right now in 2022 and who was reading it in 2017 when they were conceiving or 2016 when they were conceiving of this line has shifted. So that could be a factor, too. I'm curious to hear what you two think. Like, what would you want this line to do?
2: I just <laughs> want to see it. I mean, I'm a, a Dare fan, and it's just I look at Temptation. You look at Blaze. They had these really long runs, mm. and then you see Dare, and it didn't last nearly as long. It, I mean, not nearly as many books. And it's like, well, what happened? Um you know, so it's sad to see it go, but I mean, lines come and go. I think if you're a category reader, you just kind of get used to it. But there are those lines that are so definite. I mean, romance is the oldest line. It's been around for forever, it feels like. And then you have presents. So it's like it is possible to get it right. Yeah. Um, I I think that I, I hate to go there, but like there are just some parts of North America that are so conservative almost that it's like you're not going to see they're not going to want those books on the shelf at Walmart. So then you right. have to hope you can get them in Barnes and Noble. And I don't know, I, I, I think part of what we're trying to do with the podcast too, is just how do you get those new readers? You know, one thing Jade Sola James said in her, in the interview with her was for the longest, it was um, keeping the readers you already have, right. but also trying to figure out how to get new readers. And that's something Aaron and I have talked about is like, how do you get new people to jump on board. But I I feel like that's going to be key.
1: Yeah. I think that they're, I mean, I'm hoping, I I think that the more um, new authors that they bring in that have established bases that are not, that really don't even intersect that much with Harlequin, you know, I think that that, like now that you're saying that, I think that that would be really That's an important factor.
0: We got to get Katie Robert back to to write another category.
1: (laughs) Basically. (laughs) I think she's moved on from (laughs) categories.
0: I know. People are
2: shocked when you're like, oh, Katie Robber wrote for Dare. She wrote for Entangled. They're like, she wrote categories? Yes. (laughs) They were really good.
1: (laughs) I
0: know. Well, one thing, I don't know if it would help in the marketing, but one thing I would love to see again is the painted covers. Like, I just, I love the Temptation covers. They are, they're just, they are just so special. And uh, it's probably not the key to success there but uh, I think it would be awesome to, uh, to see some painted covers again. I Ooh. do think
2: readers want that. I do think there's, you know, a big group in romance readers that like miss those days. Yes. I mean, in a way, it was kind of illustrated, right? Like everybody loves illustrated covers.
0: <laughs> right? Yeah. Um,
1: and there was some there were some late commodity books that had some illustrative, I feel like one of Cheryl Lister's, Maybe I think it's hers that had just this gorgeous sort of like tropical scene. I hope I'm getting the author right. <laughs> I did not, I'm not sure if it's hers, but it had this tropical scene, but it was illustrated stylistically. It was it was beautiful. So they could yeah. do that
0: as well. It would it would be kind of cool to see Harlequins like at the checkout stand that like that. Yeah. I always think when I'm at the checkout stand looking at like the, you know, the celebrity magazines and stuff there, I'm like, why can't there just be a, just a, a shelf of, of the categories that just right above all of those, they just fit so perfectly. <laughs> and, and honestly, they'd probably get me every time I went to the grocery <laughs> store at that checkout. I was like, well, I might as well just grab this one.
1: Well, and I think that's probably Harlequin's you know, that's their first choice too. I'm sure, you know, if they can get that, that's cool. I'm sure they're trying to push for that, but, um, there's, you know, I'm sure sh- they're not the only people who are pushing for that space. So
2: yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's
0: prime real estate. Yeah. It is.
2: Look, if yeah. Miss Debbie Maycomber has a book, it's going to be there. Okay. We, we, we have to fight with <laughs> Debbie Maycomber. Nora Roberts backlist. <laughs> I mean, especially like, okay, put it, put a, put you know the new unnamed imprint at the Walmart by the self checkout so nobody's none the wiser that you're buying it you know if it's that big of a deal yeah. put it at the self checkout line
0: <laughs> right right. Well, right yeah and i had a i had a Walmart in a city i i lived nearby went totally self checkout it was it was 99% self checkout except for the customer service counter
1: wow that's crazy
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> you could do like gorilla you know get get in there and just <laughs> just do it for a time. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Just bring your rack.
0: <laughs> well, your final Dare novel, Pure Satisfaction, was book number 140 in the line before it closed just a little over 20 books after. When you released Pure Satisfaction, were you aware that Dare would be closing?
1: Uh, I was. Um, I feel like we found out the spring of that year. Um and like it was you know of course we were really sad i could tell that the numbers were not going in the right direction so it wasn't a complete shock it was also at the very beginning of the pandemic so there was a lot going on um (laughs) so it was you know it it felt like it I don't think it was related to the pandemic per se, but maybe, um, I don't know if they sped it up because it was, because, you know, books were not being sold, like bookstores were closed closed anyway. Um, So yeah, I don't know. Um, But yeah, we definitely knew, we knew beforehand.
2: Well, the book was also a Vivian Award winner. So can you tell us what that experience was like for you?
1: Yeah, um, so that was a strange and kind of mixed experience for me. Um, so obviously like on the one hand, I was so thrilled by this honor. Um, I'm someone who often rewrites the beginnings of my books multiple times, but the first three chapters of this one really flowed out of me. Um, Ruby and Adrian were just so much fun to write and it had all these elements that I love, like it's grumpy versus sunshine, enemies to lovers, age gap, forbidden, um, it takes place in Hawaii. and this book came out during the pandemic. So the fact that this book brought people some respite, maybe during this tough time, that was, that was very special. Um, and the other finalist, um, Nikki Sloan, she's a super talented author, and she had a bigger profile than I do. So um, I kind of just assumed the, uh, the award was going to go to her. And I was genuinely surprised. Like if you, there's the speeches somewhere on YouTube and I, it's very clear that I'm happy and very overwhelmed. <laughs> <as I'm, laughs> as I, um, but, you know, there's another dimension. Um, so... Um, I was not on Twitter at the time um, and I had heard, but I had still heard some rumblings about the inspirational romance from Bethany House. Final had finaled that starts out with a soldier killing people at the Wounded in the massacre. Um, and I was familiar with another book that had finaled in this category years, be- a few years before, and it featured a Nazi um, officer and a Jewish woman captive in a concentration camp. So the inspirational category itself had developed a reputation for lifting up problematic characters. Um, and so after my win, I, you know, celebrated with my family. I wasn't tuned into the book that won the inspirational category um, until the next day. And I got on social media and, um, you know, I I had an evening of private celebration and that felt good, but there were larger things at stake than my personal win. Um, I felt like people should be talking about harmful content and romance and there's no better time than when it makes the news. So um, I... You know, I think that the people who overhauled the judging from the Rita to the Vivian, they worked hard, um, but it wasn't enough. And so I guess when I think about the win, um, both things exist. I'm proud of the book that I write, that I wrote, and um, I'm really honored to have won. But the feeling is intertwined with the sadness about the harm the contest brought. So that was kind of a yeah. long answer. <laughs>
2: Oh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, we are excited to learn that you will be making a return to category romance writing and that we will be getting a 2023 release from you. What can you tell us about it?
1: Mm. So after my last answer and the fact that I wrote for Dare, this will probably come as a shock, but I did write something for Harlequin's inspirational romance, romantic suspense line, um, and this kind of has a little story behind it. Um, so after Dare, I submitted to Presents and Desire, but neither took my things, um, neither took my ideas, and um, and, I, and they were, they're not fabulous matches for me either. So I just. Sort of moved on, and I was writing other things. Um, but last December, Katie Gowry, who's my dare editor, and she's fantastic—I love her. Um, she contacted me and told me about a project under the inspirational romantic suspense line, and did I want to submit a proposal? And so obviously with all the things that I just talked about, I had to think about it. Um, I was extra sensitive about what story I wanted to tell in this genre. Um, And I, but I love Katie and I trust her as an editor. And there were these three things that they wanted. They wanted either canines or cold case or mountain rescue. And when I had mountain rescue, I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> I've always wanted to write like stranded in the snowy mountains story." And like, you're...
2: <laughs> I feel like those yeah. three things are huge. I I knew you yeah. were going to say Cold Case, and I knew you were going to say K Nine, and then you said mountain, and I was like, "Yep, those two. That's yeah. it. All three of them." <laughs>
1: Yes. And I can like feel the appeal of, for me, like the the snow, the mountain rescue, like anything that has mountain rescue, I'm like, oh, yes, I want to read that, um, you know, trapped in there and like in a blizzard. So I, I pitched this second chance romance in the Tahoe Mountains during a blizzard, um, which I don't know if you have ever visited that area, but it's, I, I think it's the snowiest city in the US or maybe the lower 48. It's like, it's nuts. The snow is like 10 feet high. High. So it's really crazy in there. Oh my gosh. Um, so this like this couple who get together after, you know, um who see each other after a long time. Or there's a there's a whole um, there there's a they have cabins next to each other and she's up there and um a turn of events means she has to turn to him and there's some running away, there's some jumping off cliffs and hiding in caves. And it was really fun to write. So um it's called High Stakes Blizzard and it's under a brand new pen name, which is Rebecca Hopewell. Yay. Yeah, I was
0: gonna ask about that because I, I spoke to um kim finley recently who writes for heartwarming and love inspired Mm. and and they almost didn't catch that that she wrote some steamier stuff under kim finley and and she had to mention it um for them to to assign the pen name so i was i was curious if you got one as well
1: yeah i mean i don't know you know i asked um actually when i was looking at doing this um i asked lisa child Who's a, a long, long time um, Harlequin writer? She's written um, over 100 books, um, and I asked her because she's written it all under the same name. But she only writes for Harlequin. But she just like switches lines, um, and <laughs> I was okay. So she writes. She wrote one of these. She wrote for for this inspirational romantic suspense. But she also wrote. You know, she wrote for Dare. She that's how I knew her. Um, she wrote for. She writes for romantic suspense now. I think and. I don't know. She writes a ton of stuff, but I asked her and she was sort of, she doesn't really, she she said, you know, readers will pick up what they want. But then I talked to someone else um, uh, who, who's writing under Zoe Marie Jackson for her inspirational romance. And she, you know, chose a different pen name for that reason and said, readers do care, um, you know, if you they don't want to pick up a book. They don't want to like go to your bookshelf and then find dares there also. So I was sort of weighing those two opinions and I went with the new penning.
2: Well, let's get into some roundout questions. The first one, last and next, tell us one of your most recent reads and a book you hope to pick up next. Mm.
1: So I usually read a lot of romances, but right now neither of those are romances. So my nonfiction um, I, I I just did a nonfiction which was called How to Do Nothing: How to res- Resisting the Attention Economy by Jenny Odell, um, and there were it was. It was really good. It was the right book for me right now. And um, so I was having, so I put it, you know, I finished it and I was really inspired and just thinking about a lot of stuff. But I don't know if this happens to you guys, but like when I have a book like that, then I have a really hard time picking up a new book. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So so last night I took one of my break in case of emergency books off my shelf. Oh my gosh. What is it? (laughs) So Louise Erdrich is my very favorite author. Um, and she she's a literary fiction author, um, but she writes um, relationships that are so good. Like her, she, it's very, very character driven. I don't know if you've ever read any books, um, but I do this weird thing where when I love an author, I actually don't read a lot of their books because I want them on my case of emergency.
0: <laughs> <No>. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So I have two books on my shelf that are hers that I haven't read. And one that I haven't read in like so long is basically new. So I took down the bingo palace and I'm starting it.
2: <laughs> I love that you said that because now I'm like, I'm thinking of like, some of the shelves on like some of the books on my shelves and I'm like yeah I did read all this author's books and now I have nothing <laughs> so you can, like <laughs> literally have to wait until they decide to put something else out and I'm not the biggest rereader so <laughs> I think we all need a break in case like it's okay have a break in case friends have a break in mm-hmm. case yeah don't need that whole time. box of cookies
0: yeah <laughs>
1: There's also a lot of joy, though, in like once you've read one of the author's books, that you're like, oh, I want more of this. So it's hard yeah. to resist sometimes. It <laughs> is,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, ebook, audiobook, physical copy. What's your preferred reading method?
1: I am paperback all the way. Love I Love that. Wait. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I do read online. Even if I start reading something online and I love it, I'll actually just go and buy the paperback because I just, I just enjoy it more. It's weird. I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, tell yeah. us one book you wouldn't mind the experience of reading
1: again for the first time. Um, this is hard. There are a lot of those, um, but I'm going to go with Flowers from the Storm by Laura Kinsale. Um, Ooh. it is a historical it was written a long time ago a long time ago meaning maybe it sounds show. like an older
0: historical yeah <laughs> um,
1: um, and it features a Duke that has a stroke and ends up in an institution and it is super I mean it is beautifully done um just. And and it really, what I love about it is um, it's not a historical that glorifies the social system at all at the time like you really it, you see how everyone is kind of trapped in these different places including this duke um and this position that he's been put in and how everyone is maneuvering around him to gain power so it's really it's fantastic
2: i feel like those old school historicals like really just went there and got away with So much that I just don't think you would see in historicals that come out today.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you can find a lot of grittier historicals, you know, I mean, it really, it feels just the, it, the, the tone is different. Um, I have to say that I, I do like search Goodreads for content warnings because I don't want, there are things I don't want to read. So I want to make sure those things aren't in it. Because you have to kind of, it's kind of threading the needle with old, old historical romance too. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I, I. I'm um, a, the right one. Really hits the spot for me.
0: And some of those books were were doorstops. They were they were big books. So you, <laughs> you definitely want to know what you what you're getting into before <laughs> you invest in them.
1: Yes, this one is a doorstop too. This is a big one.
0: <laughs> well, you decide you want takeout for dinner tonight. Where do you order from, and what's your order?
1: This is a hard question. I live in a super foodie area, so we have lots of great restaurants that are within walking distance, Um, but I'm going to go with Cafe Raj. And I would order the saag paneer, which is like this spinach dish with paneer cheese in it. And um, then they give you a free rice pudding with that, too. So I'd eat that, too.
2: Oh, my God. It sounds so good.
1: Sounds, sounds wonderful. I
2: know, And I love that you live in a foodie area like that. It just sounds like such a dream. I want to be surrounded by a bunch of good food. OK, this may be hard because we know you are a woman with very strong opinions. What is One Hill? you will wholeheartedly die on
1: yeah so uh fresh water for everyone <laughs> yeah I mean you know it's gonna be stuff like that and that you know I think that the thing the the hill I mean most people agree on things like that um but it's like the the place that I can get a little you know hill to die on is like where should we be taking resources to put towards things like that mm-hmm. you know yeah So, yeah.
0: Tell us one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received.
1: Mm. Uh, You have to spend way more money to get results from book releases. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's so painful (laughs) because I feel like I and I have thrown away a lot of money at like, oh, this sounds kind of interesting kind of things. And I just I'm a little wary. um, And so I'm not a big risk taker and that is not rewarded these days in publishing so yeah
2: yeah well knowing what you know now what advice would you go back and give yourself at the beginning of your writing career
1: um so I think that the person I really want to give advice to is my 20 year old self. So at that time, I, you know, even back then, I wanted to write a novel, I really wanted to, I started, I started different things. And then I'd start it and I'd be like, yeah, this isn't good enough. And so at some point, I quit to wait until I got good enough. So like, Saying this aloud, you can hear this does not make sense. Like, you can't wait to get, to get good at So what was I thinking. And if I had maybe voiced those things to someone else, maybe someone else would have said like, Rebecca, what are you thinking? But I didn't. And so I waited. And I would
0: say, don't wait, just do it. Excellent advice. We should take that advice, Brie.
2: I know. <laughs> <Yeah>. Absolutely. <laughs> just do it. And then we'll just have like all these reasons, but like, I can't do it right, right now.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Soon. Well, you know, I, I, when I was 20, um, I had that thought. And then when I was like in my mid thirties and I was getting close to 40 and I was like, um, I had this thought, you know, I, that I, I periodically came up that I want to write a novel. And then I was like, oh, if I had only started when I was, 20 then I would be so good right now right and then and then my next thought was like oh but it's too late now and then luckily then my next thought after that was like wait a minute if you're 60 and you look back at this moment right here you're gonna say the same thing that you should have started then. And that was the piece that like pushed me over the edge. I was like, you know, it's never, you know, um, if I look at that span of time, even if I write a mediocre book right now, by the time I'm 60, I'll write a good book. <laughs> so yeah.
0: <laughs> well, lastly, where can everyone keep up with you online?
1: Um, well, I do send out a monthly newsletter which I love to write so that's a good place to start and you can get it if you go to my um if you go to my website which is rebeccahunterwriter.com you can sign up there and um, I think the social media that I update the most is Instagram and I'm Rebecca rebeccahunterwriter there too So those are, I think those are the best places, but I'm, I I think I'm everywhere.
2: Well, we will find all the places and put them in the show notes so that listeners can keep up with you. And do you have a month for the new release for next year or no? Is it too early?
1: Uh, I do have a month um, and a lovely cover. Um, It, uh, it is... March. It's the March 2023. Um, I think the official release day is maybe like the 24th of 1st of February. But I think that if it'll be on um, shelves everywhere um, in, in March next year.
2: Well, we'll try to find links and put that in the show notes as well. Thank you so, so much for hanging out with us today and letting us pick your brain. We have just been so excited. So thank you so much for doing this.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.